Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. Jimmy, we made it. We've got some tech issues we were solving. It was like two people that have no clue how to navigate the Serengeti, and we were wandering around fixing these mic issues. Good to be here with you on Moving the Rock today. Same, my man. If, if only navigating, navigating the Serengeti was as easy as just clicking buttons here and there. <laughs> I finally clicked <laughs> the right button. <laughs> oh, if, if I'm helping with tech, we're in trouble for sure. Um, so I, I thought about us, this journey we're taking on these episodes through the WINS model this past week, because I was talking with somebody who is dealing with some complex marketing and sales issues, and I was trying to help them zoom out, and something came out of my mouth that I'm not sure I agree with, and I've been so excited to run it by you and see what you think, and I know it's just going to fit with what we're talking about today, but marketing is sales at scale. Let the riots begin. <laughs> Marketing is sales at scale. Uh, I'll give you. I'll give you another. I'll give you another saying that I've repeated. Um, marketing, we're looking for Mr. and Mrs. Right. Sales, we're looking for Mr. and Mrs. Right now. So. Um, Okay, so it's like it's like when we talk about wins, right? Why change? Why now? Why buy? Why you? Uh, the four agreements. Yeah, it's always about the now. Marketing is out there building out the brand, um, creating relationships with the company, with the brand. Uh, whatever relationships are required to uh, to capture and sustain mind share in the marketplace. Um. And oftentimes for small companies, that brand is the founder. Or for an individual coach, the brand is the coach's personality, the relationships. But the idea is that there's a relationship that folks believe they have with the brand, and then there's a relationship they have with that salesperson. And if it's a B2C retail sale in a store, it's the relationship you have with that with that end cap or with the person at the cash register. Uh you know, if it's B2B, it's then with a salesperson. Or if you're in a retail environment and there is a salesperson there, it, it follows. So that's how I think of it. But what I love is I love you testing traditional thinking with that idea. Well, I, I think for me, what's happened for so long is I have treated sales um, really better than marketing. I've, I've been better at sales in, than in marketing in the sense of knowing if I'm making a connection with somebody, even if it's not leading to any kind of specific uh, sale, it's all still part of the brand I'm building, 
about who I am as a person and the reputation I have. So I think that's why that bridge connects in my mind um, the more that, and of course you're privy to this, but other listeners wouldn't be some things we're tackling together uh, through our partnership with um, solving some marketing challenges. And it's, it's starting to it's starting to grow my brain to the things, you know, or be, help me become aware of the things that I was doing one-to-one with people that I need to do better at, you know, in the larger, bigger conversation. Because right. in the larger, bigger conversation, I could be like, well, here's the point. Buy this. Go here. Rather than doing what I would do in person or through text or through email, which is what we're talking about today, consistently providing the experience that I esteem for people to have with me, even if it doesn't get to a specific sale at this moment. Mm -hmm. So how Mm -hmm. would that fit with Mr. or Mrs. right now? Right. Well, I mean, the intrinsic in that statement is, uh, is really, there's a lot of detail in that statement. So if you, if you're, if you're like me and you believe that sales is a team sport, then you recognize that it's a lazy practice to just start a company and believe you can hire a salesperson and go give them a $2 million quota and say, go get him Tiger. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, it's inconceivable. It's incomprehensible. It's just not going to make sense. Well, why? Well, there's so much the salesperson doesn't control. So let's just, let's start from the beginning. Let's start at the product service package, right? If you, if you build a product service package that has a price, that price must be attached to the value that you believe your product service package will deliver to the, to the customer. What component of that does a salesperson control? Absolutely nothing. The salesperson cannot sell something for more than it's worth. Now, we might get lucky here or there and find someone who values it beyond our expectations and may pay more. You, you've heard the sayings, you know, she's such a good salesperson, she could sell ketchup to a woman wearing white gloves, right? That's an old school, that's, that's maybe a 60-year-old old school saying, or... You know, Ice to Eskimos. Have you heard that one? Yes. It's, it's like, probably inappropriate now. I don't mean it to be, but <laughs> it probably is. But yeah, those ridiculous statements that that should test somehow your sales metal and it's utter bullshit because we don't we can't sell something for more than it's worth. We can't sell it to the person that it wasn't designed for. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, there's there's all kinds of components there. So we have to when we think about launching a sales organization or tasking a sales organization with doing what we're we're going to talk about today, creating some outreach, prospecting outreach to, in this case, let's talk about executive buyers in a B2B buying cycle. Um, We have to make sure that marketing has done its part and and the product service team has done its part. We've built something that's a good fit for the people we're reaching out to, and there's value there for it. So, so I'm assuming by virtue of the fact that I'm prospecting that I know who my ideal customer is. I know who my ideal buyer is. I know what their persona is, the things they're going to respond to. I actually may have a list of those folks so I can do research on them. So I'm not trying to figure out what my product market fit is. It's already done for me. I'm not trying to reinvent the brand. It's been done for me. Now, uh, just a message to every executive out there who's fielding a sales team without 
clarity on product market fit and without clarity on everything else we've talked about. You know, if you don't give your salespeople the insight and the information, they're going to make it up for you. <laughs> right, baby? So if you don't give them the brand, if you don't tell them what the brand stands for, if you don't tell them who you want to be selling to, if you don't tell them who your ideal client is or your ideal buyer and customer, etc., if you don't give them this insight, they're going to make it up for you. Why? Because they have to. They have to meet their commitment to you, which is to sell something. And, and yeah. they're not just going to sit back and relax. They're going to they're going to make it happen. And you may not like what your salespeople come up come up with because they are not strategic by and large. Yeah, they're they're going to come back and lay it down on the desk, and the order is there, and it's like that's what I sold. And they're Look like, but did. we don't do that that way. <laughs> right. It went out that way. Oh man. Um, well, and I think for me that is what's so powerful about the conversation that threads through these episodes that when you really do the hard work and that you go for clarity not just an increase of intensity sell harder sell more all the goods come out of that and then the wins model gives that framework to surface what is the clarity that's needed Um, so when you start thinking about this always buyer these people that you're telling their story for them and they hear that and they mirror that and they say, yes, that's my story. They get excited. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't appreciate all the little interactions that get to that point, which is what I know we're focused on today, how we uh, make those connections in a very effective way um, to see this journey come to the close where we're serving them. They're so happy to have bought. We're happy they bought and all the good that's going to come from that, you know, on the other end. So what do people do when you're helping them get this clarity on what, you know, what this interaction with others looks like and the best way to do that? Yeah. So we're talking about empowering salespeople to go out and do some outreach, right? I mean, and, and if you work in an organization that does marketing for you and creates leads for you, that's great. But at the end of the day, a marketing qualified lead is not the same thing as a sales qualified lead. So, you know, you know, salespeople have to understand that if you want someone else to do your job for you, then we don't need you in your seat. Mm. So the question is, at what point do you, you know, step into the process and contribute, right, to building your pipeline? Well, if you've got a marketing group and a lead generation generating engine producing leads for you, you're going to get a list of folks that have expressed some interest, and then you may consider them to be warm. That's fine. Uh, there's a whole host of degrees of warm lead, but you can kill that opportunity by underestimating what's required to have a high-value conversation with that individual. Uh, so you might look at uh, you may go into work in the morning and see a hundred or a thousand opportunities um, waiting for you to, to, to call. If you do not invest appropriately in those, then you are wasting your, your company's money and you're wasting uh, the potential to be pot- potentially the number one contributor in your organization uh, because you're wasting so much opportunity and so much time. Um, going through the motions in a low-quality way because you see so much quantity in front of you. What if you approached each of those opportunities in a high-quality way and optimized every communication? Now, you're not going to overdo it, but you're going you're, you're to invest an appropriate amount of uh, uh, time and effort 
in approaching each of those in the way that they deserve, thereby creating some max value for you and, and uh, your pipeline and ultimately uh, your year-end number. Mm. And, and that, uh, you know, there was something you said at the beginning of that that set up what you just walked us through that I think is huge. You know, if what I said at the beginning, and, and I didn't believe it was true, I wanted to process it here, was true, marketing is sales at scale, then that would invalidate the need for sales, like you're saying, you're not needed. And yet we know that's not the case. And so these are two very distinct uh, operations and skills that we want to work hand in hand, like we've talked about in a number of episodes. But at the end of the day, what we're here to say in this moment today, how can you make that impact in such a way that you are irreplaceable? Um, you are fulfilling something that is essential. Yes, it from the process standpoint, you don't want it to be that that unique individual isn't replaceable. That's dangerous because then you're built on the personality or star player rather than the process. But it is that process that makes that, you know, sales function so necessary. Right on. Um, that's huge, huge. So thank you for taking time to let me flesh that out. Educate me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this is a, you know, we don't innovate unless we stretch, right? So it's always good to experiment with new ways of looking at uh, the world. Um, in the context of what we're talking about today, prospecting, I think there's a, some things that are worth noting. You know, to be good at prospecting, um, or uh, this is a sales-driven outreach, um, whether you're prospecting leads that have already come into you or cold uh, opportunities that you've identified, or you're out there networking amongst the people you know, the clients you have, and asking for referrals or uh, introductions to other folks, you have to really understand the product market fit or the product service market fit. Uh, you have to understand what is it about what you sell that connects with the people that you're going to be selling to. An easier way of thinking about it is what problem, do you really understand the problem that your product service package solves mm -hmm. and who it solves it for and what the impact of that solution is and what are the other um, triggers might be uh, might exist that prompt your buyer to be thinking about you right now. Uh, and so you've really got to be, the best prospectors are really tuned into the buyer. They understand the buyer as if better than or as well as they understand themselves. They understand the buyer as if they were a buyer, which is oftentimes why um, great founders of, of startups, for example, uh, do a great job getting early traction in the market because they oftentimes come from, they oftentimes were buyers of the service that they are providing now. And they, because now they are providing a better version of that service, they understand the buyer. They understand the buyer connection really well, and they can, and they're really outstanding initially in creating that initial connection and providing the company with some um, a, a strong foundation from which to grow. The challenge is now replacing or replicating that knowledge and insight in future sales hires, which is why we're talking about the wins model. We want to identify what works, we want to systematize it, and then provide it to our new employees so they can be successful. Keep it going on repeat, repeat, That's right. repeat. So when they go into prospecting, they've got the ideal buyer, the always buyer. Mm -hmm. um, this is 
they know them uh, sometimes better than they know the other person. Uh, this is the journey right. they've taken so deeply. How do they tactically now execute yeah. this in a this way is... that it's overflow? Right, and, and there's there's so much more here that we can cover in today's session. But I want to give I want to identify some some gaps that might really um, hold you up if you're looking for ways to improve your prospecting. The first thing is to think about, as you said, we want to think about the personas of our always buyers. Now, if you haven't done that work yet, it's good work to do. It's strategic work. If you're if you're ready to do some prospecting right now, how can I help? Let me let me give you some insight. We have this first concept is uh, early and late lead. So if you think about the the wins model, wants, impacts, needs, solutions, right? Why change? Because I want something I don't have. Why now? Because the impact is too great to ignore. Why buy? Because um, there are needs that, there are must-have requirements or needs that uh, are blocking my success. And then why you? Because you have a solution that's differentiated and, and so nicely fits the problem that we've identified, the problem being the win. So the, if you think about a, a late lead, a late lead is someone who's already gone through the buying cycle so they've determined for themselves what they want. They've determined for themselves what the impact of success or failure is, and they actually have created a budget based on that. And they've also identified what they need. So now what they're doing is they're out there looking for a solution, for a product. And so they're, uh, they may be on Google, for example, doing some keyword searching for your type of product. That's a late lead. That's somebody who's already gone through the process and now shopping. And guess what? If they find you online, you're now going to be part of a dog and pony show. You're going to be compared to every other vendor that they've found based on price, you know, what your logo looks like, how you fill out the RFP, all that junk. And your, your potential to win is going to be somewhere below 20%. If you're lucky, maybe 25%. But the idea is that you have very little control. Um, oftentimes, if you play the buyer's game, you have very little control over winning that, winning that um, opportunity. On the other side of that, however, if you're in a business where people are searching for you already, it's a great source of a lot of volume, right? And what we might call a warm lead, even though our potential to be successful is very low. So there's that seduction of that warm lead that's at the end of their buying cycle because it's somebody great to talk to. We know we have a pretty good idea they're going to spend money, but we also have a very low chance of winning. We're going to lose seven to eight times out of 10. That's not mm. effective. Now, that is unless you're leveraging the wins model. Uh, the early lead is when you are talking to the decision maker, when you're talking to the person who decides when it's time to change, when you're talking to the person who's deciding what their organization wants because that initiates the buying cycle. So the early lead is the executive or the decision maker that you're going after. So if you think about your always buyer, um, we wanna think about the always buyer who is the decision maker and understand the triggers that activate that early buying cycle. If I can connect with that person while they're thinking about the decisions they should be making or even before they make the decision, so maybe I can create the desire for what I have, now I'm going to have a much higher potential to close that, that deal. The, on the other side, um, there may be fewer of those for me to sell to. So I have to have a more strategic path to market. But less wasted time 
in meetings. I mean, and, and that's the thing. You know, I think if people are listening to this, uh, you know, you can go back to their earlier episodes, get the guidance on dialing in on the problem that you're solving, figuring that out very deeply. Um, but at some point, there has to be a distaste that grows in you at that beginner sales journey to the pro sales journey where you're like, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my time. And what happens for people is they go into this place, usually in an initial level, this pro level, I should say, where they're trying to get better at technique, right? Rather, where the master goes at it is better at knowing who the buyer is, what, you know, what it looks like for their problem to show up and how to connect, how to language, how to reach out, how to have a conversation, whatever that is. Um, Because those numbers are terrifying to a person like me that's like, that's, that's not how I want to live. I don't, I don't want to have that kind of time invested and have those kind of results. And I've been at a place where, and I know you've, you know, been through your cycles of this, where I'm, my back's against the wall, I'm having to take care of my family, and, you know, I, I don't even think I've ever told you this story. I actually built one time this, uh, I feel like I should whisper, it was an <laughs> MLM business. This was years and years ago, but literally, like, some people that know my story, you got to get grocery money. And this thing was taken off and hot, and I bought all these cold leads and was calling them at night, and just brutal, just brutal. But I was trying, right? And and as I go through those calls, you get better at them. And, and I just want to encourage people that are out there, they're trying, but paying attention to the subtlety of what you just said that's so huge is it's it's that other person. Knowing them, especially when they're that early lead, then we get to figure out real quick as we take them through the wins model how to not waste our time. Right, right. Right, so that, so that so if you want to invest time in understanding a technique, invest time in understanding the connection between the trigger events, right? Those circumstances and event triggers that we talked about last time, and how they um, actually um, they will trigger or initiate a buying cycle within the organization that you are talking to. If you can create that connection, then you can create an email. Or you can have a phone conversation, or you can write an introduction that makes the person you're talking to think about, whoa, you know, yes, it's you, you get me because, yes, that's happening to me right now. Or you get me because I didn't think of it that way. Maybe I should be thinking about it. You piqued my curiosity. Let's talk. Now, what I don't want you to think is that I don't want you to dis- dis- discount this approach if you heard me say, you know, we're educating the market on what we do, um, I'd like you to th- just think about what you sell. Um, there are essentially there are lots of different types of salespeople, but I tend to, when I'm thinking about the kind of salespeople that we're looking to hire, for example, for a client, you know, I, I ask the client, look, are we selling something that your clients are already buying, or are we selling something that they aren't? If they aren't already buying this, then we have to. We have to pique their interest. We have to create demand for this. If they're already buying it, then I have to displace an incumbent, right? So you can think of it that way, but regardless of whether you're displacing an incumbent or you're selling something that someone's not, has, isn't buying, there's gonna be a trigger event 
that triggers both of those decision makers to consider a new buying cycle. It may be the incumbent failed. It may be that they're growing and the incumbent can't scale. There's all kinds of reasons that incumbent providers are displaced. What's the trigger? What's the circumstance or event trigger that makes the decision maker think now is the time to initiate a buying cycle or to get my team thinking about doing the analysis on whether or not we should be making this move today? That's the job of the prospecting that you're going to be doing as a salesperson. And you've got to learn how to how to commu- identify the channels that make sense and then communicate that trigger and then build that rapport vis-a-vis the channel that you choose. That is uh, something I think that is so skipped over and I've found it so powerful in my own experience applying the WINS model of looking for that that event um, and I love the way that you brought that distinguishing two paths you know we're displacing the incumbent or we're creating demand so when you go into a place that you're displacing the incumbent or you're creating demand does that uh, does that sales leader shape their language differently based on those two things or do they focus more on the trigger event or both well what we're what, what the sales person wants to do is you, they want to have a clear insight into the problem that they solve and and the problem they're looking for inside the organization that they are targeting and uh, we can't just depend upon the buyer, saying, yeah, I, got a, I have a problem. You know, most buyers don't plan on being prospected. So you're interrupting them during the day, right? So it's like mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be already tuned to tune you out, right? They're practiced at it, especially if they're, they've been executive for a long time. So what we've got to do is we've got we've to think about how do we align um, what we do with a priority that's going to be on the mind of that executive when we call them or when we email them. So you can see that this this form of outreach is customer-centric. We lead with the priority that we believe, based on our research and our experience, is going to, is likely to be on the mind of that executive. So if, a, um, if, the, if, the, if the healthcare industry is being um, rocked by um, some type of regula- regulation or certification, or, and that's a trigger to move somebody we have to know that. If the organization just had an executive uh, turnover, we have to know that. If they've just announced they're going to open up a new market, or if we know that one of their competitors just launched new product, we know there's going to be some stress inside that company. And those events and circumstances are going to trigger the leadership team to be thinking about their priorities and re-examining their priorities. And if any of those trigger events um, generate or generate problems or focus the executive team on problems that we solve. We want to leverage those to create that connection. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about showing up uh, where our client or our buyer is. You know, we've talked about this idea of, of um, you know, meet them where they are. Well, that's the, this is the perfect way to do that. We're not selling as much as we're helping them buy. And we're starting the, the relationship by connecting with one of their priorities, we just happen to know in advance that that priority will uh, oftentimes lead to a purchase of our product service package. 
So the communication, yeah. So the communication is built around from this prospecting standpoint uh, around that specific, precise. I know what's happening. I'm seeking to be helpful, but you're not having that wording or tone in what you do, right? Because that's too pushy. Would, well, would, go ahead. Correct me if I'm wrong. Tell, tell me what you mean. Give me an example. Yeah. So you're prospecting and you're and you're emailing or you're calling or you know whatever the the channel you're using is. You don't want to come off like I'm an I'm a know-it-all. I know your world and I know what you're facing, and here's the solution. Um, that tone would right. be off-putting for a lot of people, right? Of course, yeah, of course, absolutely. See, yeah, that's the idea of showing up or meeting them where they are. Uh, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to have your your communication dialed into that persona, right? There's going to be a different. I'm going to have a different persona when I'm prospecting human resources executives than when I'm prospecting CEOs. They have different personalities. They have different reasons uh, for buying. Uh, they have different um, expectations from a relationship, uh, and you know, experienced salespeople understand what I'm saying. Uh, you know, so again, the persona is going to dictate the uh, temperament, the cadence, uh, all of the different uh, elements of the plan that I execute to to create that relationship. Because at the end of the day, it's not just about a connection. You've got to turn that into a, into a relationship. Mm-hmm. So somebody says, well, I'm not an experienced salesperson. I don't know a lot of that. Do I depend on marketing to help me to build those personas? Do I do that myself, both and? Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're alone, if you're, if you're a one-person shop and you don't have marketing and a great product service team, then yeah, it may be up to you. Ideally, you're going to get help with this because, again, it's the responsibility of the marketing and product delivery team to understand uh, the product market fit and understand how to articulate that. And if it's done appropriately, uh, clues to how to communicate with the market will already exist on the website. So it's interesting. When we start talking with organizations about prospecting uh, and we start building out these connections between um, you know, the problems that we solve and the buyers that we're targeting, we oftentimes find that the website is out of tune. Right. Remember this idea of an early lead and a late lead. Oftentimes, most product-centric companies have product-centric websites, which means those websites aren't going to matter unless the buyer has already been through the first three steps of the buying cycle, and now they just want to buy something. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting about that website that's product-centric is it's automatically commoditizing that business. Mm-hmm. You're calling yourself just one of many people that sell this product, like let's say CRM. If all you do is talk about on your website how great your CRM is, your product is compared to others, you're only going to resonate with people who know they want to buy CRM. You're, and you're always going to be involved in a, generating late leads, and you're always going to be involved in a bake-off. What if you, not, not, not get rid of that, but what if you added to that? What if you also tuned your messaging for the user and adopter, the needs buyer? What if you also tuned your messaging for the economic approver, the impact buyer? And what if you also tuned your messaging for the wants buyer, the decision maker? And so what if you, what if you had identified the triggers that, that initiate uh, buying cycles for CRM so that you had at least a landing page that 
your sales team could use to actually go out and target decision makers. Why not? Mm-hmm. And then why not give them the chance to have a diversified go-to-market strategy versus just hitting the people who are shopping, the evaluators who are putting together an RFP and just shopping for your stuff. So then, yeah, taking that approach, you've got different sales pages you're building for different focused approaches. It can be simple along the the four parts of the, the WINS model, but even that speaks to a specificity uh, that's so far removed from what I would say my experience has been the average person in a sales organization. You know, they're focused on building that uh, process more than they're zeroed in on the connection to who that buyer is. Has that been your experience too? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yep, yep. Really good, man. Oh. And good summary. Um, so let's think about like, let's think about what's next. I mean, once we've identified priorities, you know, Chris, we talked about this all the time, right? We want to make the emotional connection with folks. We want to become the emotional favorite. Mm. So when you think about the WINS model, WINS talks about the want and impact, right? If you can, if you, if you can gain agreement, right? Why change and why now? Because of what I wanted, because the impact is too great to ignore. The wants and impacts equals value. It also generates the emotional charge, the emotional connection, because I, as a buyer, have a feeling about what I want and about the impact that it can have on me and my business. So by starting, uh, by thinking about uh, the trigger event and how it triggers a desire inside an organization and a buying cycle, and then talking about the hook that resonates uh, with the impact of success. Um, now I'm now I have the one-two punch of becoming that emotional favorite. So I go from identifying a corporate priority, having messaging that that um, positions me as the emotional favorite. And now I can not only interrupt, I can earn the right to interrupt the executive, but I can also earn their interest because I'm now, I've now incorporated the hook in my messaging that talks about the impact that I can have for their organization, my unique level of impact. And that should be enough to earn a response from them. So if people wanted help practically on some wording for these different channels, how could they get that? <laughs> All right. Well, I love it. So let's think of just think about email because email, despite what people say, is still the best tool for reaching folks. The email doesn't work if you're thinking of a mass market approach and you start by talking about yourself. That's the that's gonna be the problem. So if your email is starting with, hi, I want to introduce myself, I'm James, and this is what I do, and you're not creating context, you're going to have a much lower response rate than if you start your email with uh, upon, you know, something like, upon researching your website, I was impressed by the core values that you used to, to guide your business. Or after reading an article, that, reading your article on that, that outlined your go-to-market strategy, I was impressed with you, the aggressiveness of your approach. Um, so if you can open an email, for example, with a statement about them, 
that gives you insight into the priorities that are on their mind right now. And it could be something relevant to them personally. Perhaps they were interviewed or on a podcast. Perhaps it's something relevant to their business, like an announcement, or they were featured in an article, or they, they ran some press. Or it may be something that's relevant to their industry, like legislation that came down, or a new competitor, or one of their competitors launching a new product. Uh, identifying something that you believe is going to um, trigger um, a priority for them to explore change, you're now going to meet them where they are. You're going to be less interruptive. They're going to be. They're going to see the connection, and you're going to get your two or three seconds, and then you're going to follow up with the hook. Right? Clients tell us that we have this kind of impact on their business, and then in the email we would close in a way that would open that relationship in a very unique way. And if anybody wants to see how we do this, I'm happy to send out samples. Uh, just hit us up at uh, Floris Group, uh, grow at floristgroup.com. You'll hear it uh, as we close out the show. But that's that, that's the easiest way, Chris, to put it together. But email isn't the only way. It applies to every marketing channel that you use to create a connection with the marketplace and build your brand. So people can email you and ask for <laughs> help. That's amazing. Yeah. Nobody missed that. Happy to do it, man. Um, and happy to dig into this conversation more if uh, folks have more questions. Uh, there's a lot of content here and just not a lot of time, but hopefully this was a, a good start for folks. Right on. Glad to be here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace. Peace.